We're back, guys, and Holly's currently taking a selfie, but who's shocked? <laughs> I'm not shocked. You should see the light in here right now. It's golden hour. I needed to take a little yeah, little selfie. That glow. Right? Yeah, even you said before, <laughs> look at that glow. I just yeah. hit I just hit record and thought I'd spring it on you. <laughs> What's been going on in your world? My week has been mental. I've been in Melbourne earlier on in the week filming a little YouTube uh, ch- for a YouTube channel of all these gaming streamers and pro athletes in it. And we mm. played a dating game, which was a bit of fun. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, it'll be so funny. I think the boys were a little bit shocked and I had to eliminate one by one until I got the chosen one. Yeah, right. Yeah. Fun. <laughs> it's a little bit spicy. I can't wait to see who you end up with. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder who. Yeah. <laughs> How about your week, Tiggs? How has it been? Week has been pretty normal, just work, work, work. But my weekend, I went out for a boogie on the weekend, sober might I add. Uh, I stayed home in bed. Oh, man, that was probably the most annoying part. I went out for a dance with my sister and everyone, where's Holly? Where's Holly? Where's Holly? It's like we're not allowed to do anything without each other. If you don't have one, where's the other one? I even went to family dinner last night and we we had family friends come over and they were like, Where's Holly? And I was like, guys, are you happy to see me? <laughs> How about me? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's but I so went funny. Out, I went out for a dance uh, on the weekend and my younger sister, who's eight years younger than me, walked straight through her and her friend, no ID asked. And they asked me and I, at first I was flattered, 31, come on, please. <laughs> <laughs> and I flashed my ID and they said, take a step to the side and I thought, good one this is funny like haha they're like uh we'll be confiscating this this is a fake id you're not of age (laughs) (laughs) i could just imagine you would have just been really of all people it happens to too so these young blokes we were were just there the other week and they saw us they see us every week they know it was a new security guard so anyway these young guys behind me i am start kicking off again no shock and I said, I'm 30 fucking one. Like, give me my license back. I'm actually the Desi driver, so I need it to drive home. They're like, you can't drive with a fake ID. And I was like, okay, cool, but it's not fake. Give it back. I'm going home. Messaging my sister, I'm going home. They're not letting me in. They think it's a fake ID. They refuse to give it back, which I understand if they think it's fake, they can't give it back to me. Mm-hmm. I turn around to these boys and I said, boys, do I look 31? And they just laugh, this awkward laugh, like, they wanted to help me out and say yes, but they knew saying yes was the wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Lily came out, kicked off. If you've ever met Lily, you'll know what kicking off means. Don't don't get Lily to kick off stage. Anyway, got my ID back, went in for a boogie. <laughs> That's it. That is so funny. I can't believe you get pulled up. Before that, we were just at the basketball and they're all trying to make me go out, but I was a little none of that night. I was like, no, it's too cold. I want to be in bed. Turns just- out you made the right decision. I did. So on today's episode, I'm actually interviewing Teagues today. How are you feeling, Dal? I'm I'm nervous. I'm nervous, excited. It's something I've wanted to get off my chest for a while, but um, a lot of it you don't even know. So I'm a bit nervous as to how this will go. But we'll no, see. no, we haven't had a full depth conversation about this before. So what the topic is going to be today is about 
Tegan's mental health and the struggles she's gone through and how she's overcome all these different obstacles. You ready? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Was that convincing? Yeah, no, you're going to be fine, Dal. We're in this together. When did you first realize that you might be struggling with your mental health? In all honesty, I think I, upon reflection, I think I was really struggling from the age of like 14, around year eight. Yeah, as I said, upon reflecting, I look back now and I'm like, oh, okay, I was struggling. I was struggling really bad. And I think I just put it down to, ew, this is just what teenage years are like. And maybe some of it was, but because I wasn't dealing with my mental health from as early as 14, it sort of just manifested. So at around 19, it all just sort of built up into this big catastrophic ring of fire. So how, what happened with your mental health journey? When did you decide to seek help? Yeah, so as I said, around 19, but it was a fairly big push from family, specifically my mum and a girl that I was working with at the time and she was battling her own mental health demons and she was that little bit older than me and I sort of looked up to her. So when she suggested that I I go and get some help, I was kind of like, well, if she is, then I can. And it's, it's almost laughable now but one of the main reasons I decided to get help was because my boyfriend at the time was really against me seeking help for my mental health and that encouraged and drove me more to do it I think it really pushed my mum so did he feel insecure about you seeking help about it because he just didn't want to believe that that something was wrong I think it was a combination of him being embarrassed by having a girlfriend with mental health issues because remember this what am I now, 31? So this was, you know, over a decade ago and yeah. a lot has happened in that decade in terms of the stigma with mental health. So he kind of felt embarrassed to have a girlfriend with mental health whilst he never said it. That's how he made me feel. And secondly, he was one of those really old school, used to have, you know, I'm from the school of hard knocks. He just didn't really think mental health issues were a thing. You were just stressed. You'll be right tomorrow. It's actually amazing you say that because so many people still have that stigma of you just being a sook or this or that. So I can totally understand why you felt the way you did and having a partner that wasn't supportive for you to go seek the help would have been really hard to deal with. It was, but in a really uh, rebellious kind of way, it made me go and get help. Yep. I can totally understand with your personality (laughs) why that was the case. Mum was a big driving factor though. Yeah. I'm glad you had such great family support. How did you feel when you were first diagnosed with your mental health condition? It was actually a bit of a kick in the face, like a slap in the face, because whilst I was the one that was driving myself to go and get the help, when I actually got the diagnosis, it was like, oh, shit and I didn't know any of my other friends that were struggling and certainly you know at the time I didn't know that any other family members were struggling so I sort of flew the flag in my little world to be the first to be diagnosed and it felt shameful which again has come a long way in the last decade but yeah it was it was kind of it felt like a really big deal and like a really big rain cloud over me. I think you would have been such a light for a lot of people that don't deal with mental health and they know you and how strong you are and how smart you are and seeing that you're willing to put your hand up and say, I need help. I feel like I 
I am now and I probably was back then, but that's definitely not how I felt. Yeah. So what were those struggles while trying to seek your mental health um, support? I, for me, it was massively anxiety-based more so than the depression, which has fed each other for years and years now. But, you know, the first panic attack I ever had, I was following my boyfriend at the time to the nursery and we were collecting uh, just plants to bring to our new house that we were building. And I knew where the nursery was, but the car in front of us slipped in between us and there was a car in between us now. And that wasn't the plan. In my head, we were both, I was just following him to the nursery. And even now, like saying it back, it sounds so stupid, but my control of the situation went out the window and I had to pull over because I had a panic attack. Okay. So because you weren't in control, it made you anxious? Yeah. I I don't, I'm still to this day trying to work out what that is because I'm not a control freak. If anything, (laughs) I need to take some more control. But for me, it was just really tricky. And I still, as I said, don't know why, like I felt like I lost control of the situation in my head. It's almost very structured and clinical and analytical of me to go, I'm in the car, my partner's in the car in front of me, this is where we're going. And then when someone slipped in between us, I was like, whoa, 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 this this wasn't what I had planned. It's um, interesting you say that as your best friend, I know how structured you are with business and everything. Business. But I feel like I can see that side of you. Yeah. But just for that trigger of a car slipping in between and taking you off the path, it just shows how bad your mental health was at that point. Mm. Yeah. So, like, they were some of my massive struggles. It was anxiety. It was a big thing too for me never feeling worthy and that fell in the category of friendships and home life as a sister, especially being an older sister. My parents were still together at the time and not really working. So subconsciously now when I look back, I was trying to take on a protective uh, authoritative figure for them without them asking and therefore they didn't need that because we still have two wonderful parents despite the fact that they were going through something. So I took their you know, their push away as, well, I can't even be a big sister. And similarly with friendships, I'm someone still to this day who puts more into a friendship than I ever expect to receive. So, you know, when I get burnt in a friendship, it burns me really badly, more than I'd say the average person, purely because I have given everything. I um, can totally see that with you. And I know in our friendship, And we've been through a lot together Mm -hmm. and we have each other's backs no matter what. And I don't think I've never had a friendship like I do with you because I know no matter what, you've got my back and you'll do anything for me. But not like what everyone else says. I know how genuine it is. And we've got each other's backs through thick and thin. Like Tegan and I, like we can both be pains in the bum (laughs) and we both annoy each other. But we love each other unconditionally and we're like, okay, today you're going to be annoying but I still love you, I'll put up with you. And um, we've actually had people say to us before that our friendship is like the mo- on the movies, those yeah. girls that are best friends and how it's just so unconditional. That's exactly how it is. So that trait of yours that you, I do see it, you put everything in your relationships with friends, your family, everything. And relationships your, as well. Yeah, you yep. put your whole heart in it. 
but don't ever change that because I love that about you. (laughs) What role did therapy play in your mental health journey and how did you find the therapist that worked best for you? Uh, I think anyone that goes through therapy, I'm not alone in this, it takes a while to find the right one. Uh, I've been through so many and it's almost just as traumatic to go through your story and you know, flush out everything that you think is wrong with you and all the traumas that you've had. I think that's really hard to continuously bring up, but it's so important that you do find the right therapist because once you've found the right one, it's hard to explain, but you just know it's better than anyone you've ever spoken to in the past. And I'm really fortunate to have a really good one now, thank God, because. (laughs) How many did you go through to find the right one? I think I went through six in a period of like three years because I was always someone that was, I had to give them at least six months and this was seeing them weekly. That's a long, that's a long time, especially with a mental health condition, Mm. trying to work out if you can get that connection with them six months. Yep. And then that's just taking you back further and further from reaching, um, getting better really. Yeah. But I was, again, probably because I'm a heart on my sleeve person, but I wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt and, and really work on the connection. But yeah, I think once you've put six months into weekly sessions and you're just not feeling a connection, it's just not right. Yeah. That's good to know. At least our listeners, people that need help, they know to, you know, the process you've gone through with giving, the therapist a chance, seeing if you can make that connection. With the therapist that you have now, was it straight away that you felt the connection? Mm-mm. No, bit of a slow burn. Um, it's funny because initially for the first maybe six months, yeah, I would come away from it going, oh, this is why I see her. But for the first 15 minutes of our session, I'd be like, I was sitting there thinking, you're not listening to me. That's not what my issue is today. I've explicitly told you what my issue is that I want to talk to you about today and I'd be pissed off. And the end of every session, I've said this to mum, I walk away going, this is why I see her because she knows what I actually need to deal with before I do. So, But guaranteed the first 15 minutes of every session, I'm grumpy with her. (laughs) But again, does that surprise you? It doesn't surprise (laughs) me at all. And you still see this therapist to this day? Yeah. And how often do you see your therapist now? At the moment, I've dropped it back to monthly, which seems like a huge achievement for me. But Definitely. It's great. It's so expensive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can only imagine. I think that's what also sets some people back. I think even my myself, I want to go seek help about past traumas and things like that just to deal with. And I think a lot of people worry about the cost, about the price, about where to go to. They don't want to it's not a waste of money because if I feel like I look after my physical health so much, your mental health is just as important and we all should take time and we all need therapy. It's really important too. If it's something that you are thinking about getting help, go to your GP and nine times out of 10, they're going to write you a mental health plan, which gets you the first 10 sessions free or at least subsidized. So definitely go and speak to your GP and ask for one of those because even those 10 sessions can be enough depending on what it is you need to chat about um, to either kickstart or solve some of your problems. Definitely. And I think everyone can benefit from therapy. 
and to figure out the issues and what's setting them back and why they feel the way they do. And sometimes you just need someone that you don't know to speak to about things because you don't always want to go to your family, your friends, your partner. You want to speak to someone outside that doesn't know you, that you can just talk to about your real feelings. Yep. Did you experience any stigma or discrimination because of your mental health and how did you cope with it all? Yeah, I did and I didn't cope with it very well at all initially. Um, in one instance, I'd put my hand up to coach, like play coach a netball side. Um, I was actually asked to and then said, yeah, absolutely, I'd love to. And then uh, a girl that I was really good friends with, I think she w- thought she was doing this out of the goodness of her heart but brought it to the committee's attention that I had – really bad anxiety and depression and that it might not be a good fit and they agreed and said, you know, sorry, take backsies. We can't really have, we need someone strong. How did that make you feel when they said that to you? Yeah, it it was devastating at the time. I was only quite young still. I think I was like 22 and I've always said that I'm very high functioning and as of late, I don't hide it as well. So everyone would know that I struggle with anxiety. And I guess it comes down to the fact that I've been quite public and, you know, honest about it. So a lot of people know, but back then not a lot of people knew and I'd been really honest and confided in this friend. So for it to be used against me really, really hurt. And I guess in other instances that it was used against me, you know, I confided in places of employment and, if I was having a crappy day, they would say, you know, if you need to go home, you should go home. And like sometimes I was just sent home and sometimes I was given performance warnings because, you know, with your mental health, it's mm-hmm. it doesn't really work in this workplace or in this setting. And that was never fair because everyone You're has discriminated against. Well, I guess so in hindsight, but everyone has crappy days. That's right. The girl next to me, if she'd just been sprayed by somebody on the phone the same way I had and she got upset. It would have just been that was a crappy day, tomorrow will be better. But because it happened to me and I was upset, it was mental health, like what a pain in the ass. So that has happened much earlier on and a while ago now. It's not something that really gets in the way for me now but it was something that I did have to deal with and I'll be honest, I didn't deal with it well because I was still trying to process it myself despite being headstrong and resilient. And I'm really proud to say and know that I am those things. But to be constantly second-guessed and doubted by other people definitely plants seeds of doubt in your own mind. Most definitely. Well, I can just imagine they're treating you differently to everyone else to begin with, which I know isn't a nice feeling at all. You just want to be treated like everyone else. And uh, a lot of people don't know that I have family members with mental health issues. I have a couple that do have serious ones. So I know that they can be high functioning, normal people. And this is just another part of them. And if you're properly medicated or looked after or dealing with your issues, you can live a happy and normal life and you can still work and you can still, you know, like one of my family members has a really high ranking job and he is still high functioning. So I think a lot of people have this stigma against mental health and a lot of people don't understand it and a lot of people are afraid to talk about it. 
And that's why we're here today in Tegan opening up about her journey. What are some of the coping strategies or self-care techniques that you use to help with your mental health? I use a, I use really basic ones and I'm really fortunate. I always joke that my anxiety and depression is classic textbook and it is you read something in a, a book or on WebMD about what anxiety and depression is and dot point for dot point, that is me. But I'm really fortunate in that sense because then the coping mechanisms and the strategies that are dot pointed underneath it for suggested strategies work for me. So I'm really fortunate that simple things such as the 555 technique, so sitting still, what are five things you can hear with your eyes closed? Open your eyes. What are five things you can see? What are five things that you can smell? And, you know, that quite often grounds me, brings me out of my spiral or wherever I am back into right physically where I am. So something as simple as that. Recently I've been doing a bit of tapping, so just light fingertip taps on the forehead or on the side of my head, even up my arms if I'm in a situation where mm-hmm. I need to be a bit more subtle about it. But for me, sensory is probably one of the biggest things, which those two things I've just mentioned are. And there is another little uh, sewn together pouch that I have in a whole heap of different pockets of pants, coats, jeans, wherever I am. And it's got, it's this tiny little like three by three centimeter square pouch that's got some rice in it, some buttons and a marble. And it's all sewn together and I just sort of fiddle with that in my hand, in my pockets. And a lot of people would have no idea that I have that. Have there been any positive outcomes or personal growth that have come from your mental health journey? It's funny you say that because as of recently, um, it w- in the last couple of years, when when everyone was going through the mental turmoil of COVID, no one knew how to cope with all these new anxieties and that depressive state that everyone was in, sitting at home, getting nothing done. And I guess I found that to be a real head starter for me that I had on top of everyone else and I had all these this toolbox of coping mechanisms and coping strategies and I felt that I coped quite well in lockdown and with the stresses particularly that you know being a gym manager and not having an Mm -hmm. income for a long time I was in a shit spot along with everyone else but I felt like I coped a little bit better might have been it was a comparison thing like what I've been through in the past can't be as bad as this, but mm. I truly believe that all the therapy that I'd previously done actually played a massive part in me being okay during COVID. That's a, amazing how much therapy has helped you, but did you find with, um, with your growth and everything, you actually helped other people with you coming forward with your mental health? Yeah, I've it's a big reason why I wanted to do this episode today because I've sort of helped a lot of people without knowing and they've I found out after the fact that I've helped people just by being open and honest and it's so rewarding it sounds cliche and cheesy but if I could have helped one person then amazing like that one person in retrospect could have been me yeah and the fact that I've helped multiple and not on purpose is really rewarding. I think you've given people courage to be open about getting help because they see you and how amazing you are and how smart and intelligent and successful. It makes them be like, 
well, if Tegan can go get help, I can. And it pushes them to be like, it's okay because it just needs to be normalized to go get therapy. Yeah. So I think you've been a really big push and you've helped more people than what you realize. And probably people that don't even tell you, you've actually helped them realize that they do have an issue they need to deal with. I hope so. So tell us what led you up to your hospitalization? Yeah. So a lot of people don't actually know about that. And even yourself, you know, I've been, um, but you don't know too many of the details. So um, it's really tough for me to talk about still, even though I have a level of comfortability in the situation. Um, God, my heart's racing. Um, That's okay. So it was a, a culmination of a lot of crap. I've been through some pretty traumatising relationships and, you know, family separation and loss of job and, you know, just churned through some friendships that I self-elected to get out of because they weren't serving me but they were really good friends of mine but it was toxic. So this had been something that had sort of been brewing for – so I'm struggling. I'm proud of you. Something that had been brewing for a while and in at the start of COVID, um, my long-term partner left and it came as a massive shock to me um, and I didn't cope with it at all and it had happened on like day one or two of lockdown. So I'd gone from, you know, we were getting married to, you know, we talked about children to he was gone and I was in a house entirely on my own and it was in the strictest part of lockdown where I couldn't even go to mum's. So I really struggled and then six months into that I jumped on the Tinder bandwagon (laughs) and I laughed because nothing good comes with Tinder except it has for me recently but that's another story. I, I met up with a guy and we were using the um, significant other rule that COVID you were allowed to go and see significant other or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. Intimate partner. (laughs) Yeah. And had a one-night stand with this guy. And we had a bit of a connection but he was a bit of a dick. He was really rude to me and I had a massive issue there and why I was never seeing him again. And, again, another story. Fast forward about two months and I found out I was actually pregnant, which was a massive shock to me because I'd been told and had assumed that I was always going to struggle to have kids. Uh, And I had decided that I was going to keep it regardless of what the other person wanted. I took it on board, but I was pretty against termination. And this person was really manipulative and blackmailed me and put my back up against a wall essentially to the point where I I panicked a bit, a lot. Of course, of course. And and had a termination. And I've never, um, I've never coped with it despite all the counselling that I've been through. Um, 
It's, okay. it's just not something that you can get over with therapy, I don't think, anyone that's been through it. Um, I don't think you'll ever get over it. But I'm I'm proud of you and where you are now and speaking out about it because I know a lot of women and people don't want to talk about it and they just are in denial or don't tell anyone. So, so to know that they're not alone. Yeah, so that was my tipping point. Yeah. Um, I immediately regretted it. So for me, the only logical step was to go and seek help in a bigger way. Um, and the only bigger way other than your therapist is to go to a psychiatric ward. Yeah. And I self-admitted um, and I have no shame in saying that. A lot of people don't know and it's not because it's something I've hidden. Um, it's just not <laughs> – doesn't come up in conversation. It's not a topic, like, no. When does it come up in conversation? Hey, have you been to a psych ward? Yeah, I have. <laughs> so it's it's um yeah, so I've been to a psych ward. I'm so proud of you for just talking about that and hearing your story, Tegan. Like I'm t- holding back tears just listening to it. Yeah. But um really strong and I'm so, so proud of you and and, and even see, I hate that. I don't I don't want anyone to feel proud of me because of the situation I put myself in, but I know that you're proud of me and my mental strength and toughness. I know what it is you're proud of, but it's, it's so hard to it, hear. Yeah, but it's just to self-admit into the hospital and to be able to come on here and speak about it, that is tough. Yeah. And you are so strong and this is exactly why I love you and you've never hidden that you've been hospitalised to me at all. No. And the reasoning, I've known the reasoning but like just listening to your story is so deep and I think this is just going to make people be more understanding of your situation. Yeah. yeah. What was it like being in the hospital? What was your experience? I was pretty fortunate. Um, I say this with a smile on my face because I think a lot of people just think it's straight jackets and padded walls. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of is. I'm not – I was never in a straight jacket. Look – I was pretty fortunate, as I said, because I had private health. So I elected to go to a reasonably bougie one. Mm-hmm. Um, it was confronting. You know, you, you step in there and they confiscate your phone cord because you could hang yourself with it. And there's no shower curtain or shower railing and there's actually only a hole in the wall where the water comes out because you just can't have anywhere to hang anything including yourself or hurt yourself and wow. even the TVs behind uh, a big like cage. So you can't get to any of the cords and you can't get to any of the electrical points. With the TV, was that in your room or was that out in the communal like area with everyone? Both. But, yep. yeah, the one in my room, I remember walking in and it felt very clinical and just ways I'd never – I'd like never even thought to hurt myself. I'd suddenly started like – going oh yeah that wonder why that's like that oh like it almost initially made me feel a little bit darker because I was like oh fuck I wasn't at the point of doing anything to harm myself but what were the other people in this place like well that's exactly right it just shows you how deep mental health can get and people trying to hurt themselves have you ever had thoughts like that while you're in hospital uh yep and out of hospital, yeah, 
Yeah. What are the dealing mechanisms you have for trying to get through that? I've got a really good support network in my family. And the reason I say it with such reluctance is because I hate that I I go to them and I put this all on them. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm fortunate and they would find this really heartbreaking for me to know that I had such a reluctance. But, I mean, it's not nice anytime you think about hurting yourself, telling the people you're closest to. Like it's it's hard. But I know once I say it, it won't happen. Yeah, I think just you being tough enough to be able to tell your family or friends or anyone that you need help, that this is how you're feeling, is everything. You know, like I know myself, if you didn't tell me that, it would make me quite upset because I'll do anything for you. I know. And I know a lot of people that do harm themselves. Like it's hard to be in that that headspace to go and seek help. So I think it's really strong of you that you're able to. What were your family and friends' reaction to you being hospitalised? It was really normal. It was, I think because I've battled mental health issues since I was 19, they've always been so proactive as well in making sure that they're saying the right things and doing the right things. And I know even in the times that they have no fucking idea how to deal with me, they're doing their best and they've always, I can't fault them on that. So when I went to a psych ward, it was nothing to them. It was just like I wasn't feeling well in the head and I went to a head hospital. And that's exactly as straightforward as it seemed to me and why self-admitting was so easy was because I had issues with my head and there was a specific head hospital. Makes sense. You have such an amazing family and you're so close to them and people don't realise that a support network is so important, especially going through mental health. And if you don't have that, it's such a struggle. Yeah. Did you feel supported by the medical professionals while you were in the hospital? Eight out of ten, yes. (laughs) There's obviously always people that you think, why are you in this profession? Okay. (laughs) There's some ones in there that are so cranky and, I mean, it comes with being checked about six times a night. They come in to make sure you're alive and you're breathing and you haven't hurt yourself. But as a reasonably light sleeper, every time that door opens and they shine a flashlight straight into your face to see that you're still alive and that your chest is rising and falling, it's so hard to get back to sleep and you end up getting agitated and by the time you've just drifted off to sleep, they come back in and they wake you up and you end up getting grumpy and you, th- <laughs> you start thinking, oh, my God, they'll never let me out. I'm just getting grumpier. I'm going to be stuck in this psych ward forever. <laughs> How did you feel about being in hospital? Did you find it helpful or did you find it distressing? Um I reflected recently on my journal entries for the first time because I've actually been twice. I got so much out of the first one when I was really struggling at my one of my lowest points um, 12 months ago. I just popped myself back in there and to me it doesn't seem like a big deal and I can't stress that enough. Yes, I was going through some crap but the actual physical aspect of going into it, like if you've got access to a knee surgeon and you've got knee issues, are you embarrassed? 
it's the whole analogy of if you're diabetic, do you refuse to take insulin because it helped because it's embarrassing? No. I have always strongly been of the belief that, you know, if I'm struggling and I pay private health and there's a resource there for me to go and have some respite for two weeks, a month, however, however long that I'm in there, then I go to where I'm going to get help. I've paid for that help, mm-hmm. so I'm going for help. So, no, the journal entries <laughs> the first couple of days, I admittedly it was I was terrified. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, I'm in here with crazies. Oh, my God, I'm a crazy. But, no, it's so helpful. So what did you learn about your mental health while you were in hospital? That it's normal. Yeah. And that there is so many people going through something similar. Not the same, but similar. So I suppose that changed your whole perspective on mental health and mental illnesses and how it is just a normal thing and so many people go through it and it can happen too. Yeah, absolutely. It's There was a level of comfort in, you know, being with people going through the same struggle, which sounds awful, but yeah, there was some comfort in that. So after being in the hospital, did you have support networks or people or things that you went and did to help you? It was the same for me. I, I'm really lucky, as I've said a few times, that I've got my family and I've got a really good therapist. So I came out and just went straight back into that. So in saying that, have you had any relapses since being in the hospital? Yeah. Yep. So after my first hospitalization, it came around to what should have been my due date and I was a mess. I had worked really hard on coping with it and knew that I wasn't fully, fully okay, but like I knew that I was coping better and that due date came around and I just fell apart. So I put myself back in because I still had access to that resource. Fast forward a little bit and I'm not paying for private health anymore because the economy is shit house and we're yeah. all struggling. Yeah. So I unfortunately dropped that and about only three weeks ago I probably hit my darkest point that I've ever had, including the two times that I hospitalised. Yeah. But I didn't have access to the mental health ward. So that's a good point to make is that having private health can really help if you have mental health issues but it's also really sad that you need to pay for private health and a lot of people can't afford it. This this is a really dark statement and I don't want you or anyone to panic and we'll definitely put some show notes in here but I definitely see why people take their life. I was really fortunate to be able to afford the right help and I learned so many techniques that I took out of my journals and all the therapy that I've ever used and pulled myself out of the most recent rut. And I'm still working through it. But for those that have never had the opportunity to go, yeah, I can see how. Most definitely. And I think a lot of people pass judgment on people that need help, you know, people that you see even around the streets that have mental illnesses and pass judgment and laugh about them or criticise them when they actually don't understand it's a chemical imbalance in their brain that they cannot help. Yeah, They cannot help the things they're doing or what they're seeing or what's in their brain or what they're saying. Yeah, 
and they actually can't afford to go get the help or they don't know how to or they don't have the support. And I think there's such a big stigma around it. And even though some of these people, they might be offered help because of the mental illness, they don't know how to go and get it or what to do. They're stuck in this cycle of just being stuck with this mental illness and not being able to get better. What advice would you give someone who is going through a similar experience to what you've been through? Just speak up. Like it's all the slogans and all the billboards and what every single person will say, but it can't ring true enough that you just need to speak to someone, just one person to start off with and make that person someone you trust or make that someone a random, make it your GP, book a new GP, just talk to someone and get the ball rolling because coming from someone that has been in the darkest place, it's just not worth it and you just need to speak up. Yeah, I suppose it makes it really interesting because a lot of people don't speak up and they keep it to themselves. Um, Just think of the damage you're going to leave behind. Yeah, definitely. Like we both know people that have taken their lives and – how much it affects everyone around them and everything. And it's it's something we need to talk about and stop getting the stigma behind it for sure. Have you participated in any peer support or groups for mental health issues? I haven't, but I've done a lot of personal advocacy work in terms of people knowing that I'm so open and honest yeah. with my mental health that they come to me for guidance and I rarely find it a burden. I, I honestly, truly, rarely find it a burden. Yeah. I think it's something in the future, even with the podcast we want to work with because it's both close to our hearts. I know I struggle as well with my mental health, mm-hmm. um, not to the to your category. It's all relative. It's, but you can't compare. That's exactly right. We all have issues. We all have things and we all do need help and need to speak up and say we need help. And Tegan and I are both pro get therapy Hmm. get a therapist and it's going to be good for you once a month like tegan perfect that's something that is on my agenda to do and tegan's been kicking me in the bum saying go do it (laughs) so yeah it's it's definitely something that we all should go and seek and not feel ashamed of i think the shame stigma that we have over it's gone get it in the bin it's gone it's not a thing anymore 100 percent So what would you change in the mental health system and what do you think we can change for today? Bigger picture and above me, the government really needs to help subsidise financially because it's a vicious cycle. A lot of the stresses and depressive states and anxious states come about because of money but people can't afford the help and if they draw out you know money from somewhere to do it they've gotten help but then they're in a worse financial position and then they need more help and they're in a worse financial position and it just cycles medication wildly expensive therapy wildly expensive hospitalization ridiculous yeah what we can do on the ground level is make sure that we're not using terms like so depressed if you're not you know it's it's so loosely yeah it's changing the language because they're all things that affect the stigma and you know you make it into a joke it becomes a joke 
you, we really need people to be – I'm not saying that you can't tell me you're depressed. Please tell me you're depressed if you have to. And even if you think you are, tell me. Yeah. But none of this, you know, they were out of your favourite brownie at the supermarket. I'm so depressed. No, you're not. You're not. People so casually say it, don't yeah. they? And even anxiety as well. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that and I think the cost is a huge thing. I know that's something that stresses me out, yeah. stresses my family members out and even though even with private health, like the medication costs are enormous yeah. and they have to take it to be normal. Yeah. Without it, they can't function properly yeah. and this is where we all need to be more open-minded and see these people around us that why they're acting out and why they're the way they are. There's something more to it. I think there's a lot to be said for the four-day working week too, but just putting it out there. I agree. If you're listening. <laughs> Government, <laughs> literally, how good would that be? But uh, there's so much science behind that anyway about four days working less is so much better for your mental health. Coming from Tegan and I that are working two jobs. 12 days a week, podcast, 80 hours a day. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> Crazy. We're saying this, but we're actually doing it. We're going against it, yeah. aren't we? So, Tegan, what would you say to your past self? What is some advice? Oh, God. I wasn't ready for that. No, you weren't ready. You will be okay. That's beautiful. It's simple. Every time I've thought it's not going to be, it is. And... I'm really proud of myself and my resilience despite the universe testing me relentlessly. I know I am. I'm a resilient little bitch. <laughs> I just get on with it and even the days that I don't, I think I have a really realistic grasp on knowing that I can sit in this for a couple of days and give myself that respite but know that in a couple of days I've got to get back on with it. I also have an amazing family behind me. So the days where they, my rest and respite days and my big black hole creeps on too long, my family's there to kick me in the ass and so are you. Yeah, I was going to say, what about me? <laughs> you, you kick me in the ass. Yeah, and that's what you need. I think that's a huge thing is having that support behind you. But as Tegan said earlier, we will have in the show notes some help that you can go seek if you feel like you're struggling, you don't have any support or you need more support. But please reach out. I'm more than happy to talk and I know yeah. Holly is too, but as someone that's lived through it, if you have any questions about being hospitalised or self-admitting, I've been there, I've done that and I'm not ashamed of it, nor should you be, ask away. Definitely and I have people around me that struggle with their mental health and to some really severe cases so I totally understand and even though I don't speak about it or no one knows that I have family members with it I'm so open-minded and um, you're not alone and we're here to listen. Thank you for the chat today Holly I really appreciate it and I'm glad I've got it off my chest. I'm really glad you come thank you for opening up and I think there will be a lot of people that will really enjoy this episode. Thank you. Thank you. 